0: We're starting a new series today. And, uh, you know, one of the most common questions that I get in in the church is, um, uh, or statements I hear is, you know, I need a church that, I need a church that, I need a church that. And uh, so if you open up your bulletin and look at your outline, the title of this sermon is About Your Needs. Let's talk about those. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. This is an incredible passage that was originally more like a side note in a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, to this church that he knew and loved. And he kind of just tagged it on at the end to thank them for a gift that they sent him. And uh, from a prison cell, he writes this letter that's just full of so much joy, um, which is kind of counterintuitive that you'd have joy and be in jail at the same time. That's kind of confusing to me, you know, or that you'd lose your job and still completely trust that God is a provider or that you would feel lonely and still acknowledge that, yes, God is with you. You know, all those kinds of things. But, um, you know, there's a lot of things like that that are taught in the book of Philippians, but I always find myself coming back to the same passage. So, Philippians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 10, and here's what Paul says. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. That's funny to me. It's like, I got your help. It's about time. <laughs> it's like, that's not very good thank you note etiquette. It's like, thanks for the gift, finally. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Verse 11, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. In other words, I wasn't born this way. I was selfish when I was two. Okay, I've, I've progressed though since then. I've grown in my faith and my maturity. Um, and, you know, I've learned that, you know, you can complain, but it won't do you any good because then nobody's going to like you if you're a complainer all the time. And so he's progressed in his maturity. Because, verse 12, I know what it is to be in need, and I also know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then here's a famous verse. I can do all things through him who give me strength. And that verse, guys, is so often taken out of context in church. Um, it doesn't actually mean that you can literally do anything through Christ. That's not what it actually means. You can't just pull a verse out and interpret it as one line. You have to look at the context around it, and that's what we like to do here. Um, There's a much deeper meaning than that. It's really about the sufficiency of God in every situation in your life. And so verse 14 says, Yet it was good of you to share my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. In other words, you were there for me, and I won't soon forget it. For, when, for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. It's kind of confusing because he's kind of flip-flopping back and forth. Like, you know, I, I'm grateful for the, what you sent me, but I don't need it. I'm in need, but I don't need it. He's kind of going back and forth, and, and it gets a little confusing. And I'm just like, well, Paul, if you don't need it, can we have it back? Because <laughs> we probably need it. So, so look, verse 17. Not that I desire your gifts... What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And then there's another famous verse. And my God will meet all your needs. I wonder if Paul was just saying this to the church at Philippi or if he's also saying it to Rives Church in Visalia, California. My God will meet all your needs. In fact, I kind of wonder if you would say that part out loud after me. My God will meet your needs. And then this part's important. According to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Because I don't have what you need, in case you didn't know that. I stand up here every week, but I don't have what you need. Only he has what you need. I can't give you what you need. Um, I got my own needs. That's why I'm tired all the time. How many of you wish you could say that to your kids? I got needs too, kids. <laughs> right? I wouldn't say that about my kids. My kids are delightful. But, but I, think, I think that's the most misunderstood book in the entire Bible, or most misunderstood verse in the whole book of Philippians. Because, and I want to spend some time with it today. Think about that. My God will supply all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So let's, let's see if we can get a fresh look at this verse today. I want to talk to you about needs a little bit today. So you know how when you get married, um, you think you know what your spouse needs, but then uh, after a year, you realize they need completely different things than you thought they need? And you realize you have different needs as well. And so the frustrating thing about our needs is that you can really love somebody, and you can have somebody really love you and want to meet your needs, but there's a couple things. If you don't even really know what you need, how is somebody else supposed to know what you need? And yet we have this thing we put on our spouses especially where we expect them to know all of our needs and meet all of our needs and no human can do that, even your wife, even your husband. And so, you know, that's not really a fair thing to put on them. And so, I can see I've got some work to do today. So, um, I almost thought that's where Paul was going though. Like, I don't need anything, but thanks for the gift. I don't need anything, but thanks. And, and, and some people, you know, you can't even compliment them without it getting awkward, right? You can't even compliment them. They can't even take It's like... Um, hey, you sang that song great this morning. Oh, it was all God. Well, no, it wasn't that good. I mean, if God was doing it, would be better, but, but it was good. It was good. You know, it was just okay. And, and, you know, I think when we come to Christ, we have this unrealistic expectation that when we come to Jesus, he's going to take all our needs away. And that's not what the Bible says. That's not what it says. Um, in fact, if you're a Christian, you still have the same needs now that you had mostly before you came to Christ. You still have needs. Um, it's just that they're the same needs, but now the difference is you're meeting them in a different way. That's the point. In other words, you still have the same need for approval, but instead of trying to constantly get it from another human being, you're getting it from the only one who can actually give it to you. Because no human's ever going to approve of you in a way that fulfills you. Let's get it from the all-knowing, ever-present, all-loving God, not from a faulted human being, which we all are. And so it's not that I don't have needs, it's not that I don't have wants, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We've heard that one. No, I still want. I still have wants. It doesn't mean I never want anything. It doesn't mean I never need anything. It, it doesn't mean that my appetite has gone away. It just means that I go to a different place to eat now. It means that I fill those needs differently now in a way that's honoring, in a way that actually works. And, and you know, sometimes I think we're so focused on, on people's behaviors that we forget that there's often needs that drive those behaviors. And uh, And so... You know, here's, here's another thing. There's no need in your current life. There's no need that you are currently meeting in your life that is probably a, an evil need or a bad need. I just want to point that out. Many of us, you know, who've had various addictions need to hear this exact point, and, and maybe you can leave after I say this because this might be the whole reason you came today that you needed to hear this. If you've struggled with addictions in the past, it's not necessarily true that the need that you're meeting through that addiction is the bad part. It's the way you're meeting the need. That's the issue. You're not meeting the wrong need. You're meeting it with the wrong way. And, and you know, so this applies to overspending, overeating, uh, over-talking. Uh, I hear you, Facebook, oversharing. Um, it applies to every sexual addiction, by the way. You know, there's a certain shame and guilt that comes with people who've struggled with sexual addiction. But you know what? Um, it actually comes from a need that's from God. The need itself isn't bad. It's just that people are meeting it in the, in the wrong way. And, and all, all that that addiction in is is a valid need trying to express itself in a way that is not honoring to God and is not going to actually fulfill you and it's going to leave you empty inside by filling it in the wrong way. And so it becomes more and more and more and, and then the need that we're trying to meet just, just takes us over. So my God shall supply all your needs or meet all your needs. Not according to your resources though, but according to His. And I'm glad for that. I'm glad that the one who actually wants to meet my needs and has the ability to meet my needs is the one who has the ability to. The one who has all the resources on heaven and earth. He not only gives what I need, guys, but he is what I need. That's the point. Without him, your needs are never going to be met. So now that we got that out of the way, let's back up a little bit and talk about, like, how needy are you? Like, don't raise your hand, but just think about it. When you walked in here today, how needy are you? Like, like if we could see a gauge on your chest as you walked in that was lit up, Like the needy gauge. Like when you walk through the doors, how needy are you? Like did you walk in here with tons of needs? You know, like, like what would I see if I looked at that gauge? What level is your joy at if I saw that gauge? Not happiness, by the way, joy. Those are two different things. Happiness can be met by caffeine. You know, Starbucks makes me happy, okay? But that's different. That's different from joy. I'm talking about joy. There's this joy. There's this contentment that's described in the Scriptures. It's a different thing from happiness because... And, and by the way, don't let people smile confuse you when they walk in here either. Because some people just have this different bone structure where they're just always smiling. They're just always smiling. And there's some people that everywhere they go, they just have resting, blessed face. <laughs> and they just always look happy. That's what RBF means, right? Um, they just... They, they always look happy, but, but the point is, a lot of them, it's covering up a lot of stuff inside, and there's other stuff in there that you don't get to see that if you looked inside, you'd get to see, and, and there's stuff in there, and so I'm talking about the stuff that, that if we could see it, what would it look like? You know, like if we, could see, if we could see your peace gauge today, what would that read? You know, like would it be a lot of peace, like a full tank, or would it be like the teenager who fills up his tank five bucks at a time, and it's just down here going back and forth? Like, what, what level is your peace at? If we could see your levels inside you that you put a mask on and hide. Here's what I've learned about this. I've learned that typically in somebody, when joy is low, it's usually because their entitlement is high. You know? And when contentment is low, it's usually because they think that they deserve a whole bunch that they're not getting. Those things almost always go together. And that's why the most joyful book in the whole Bible, most people believe, the book of Philippians, it was written from a prison cell because Paul came to the point in his life where he finally said, I don't need it. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'll use it. I'll put it to work, but I don't, I really don't need it. I I genuinely don't. He really got to this place of freedom where he, he, he thinks he, he doesn't need everything he used to think he deserved. And once he broke free of that, then God's actually able to help him receive what he really needs. And sometimes what blocks us from receiving, guys, what we really need in life is what we expected we would get. And when we didn't get what we expected we would get, then we can't receive what we really need because it gets us down in the dumps about it. Can I go a little deeper in this? Okay, so in your Bibles, find Acts chapter 16. By the way, we put it on the screen every week, but that's a backup plan, all right? You need to be open in the actual Bible because I'll say this up front, you don't ever need to take a man's word for what the Bible says, including me. All right? So make sure that it's actually in there. So Acts chapter 16. Did you know that sometimes God uses a no to meet your needs? Because I hear a lot of complaints about, oh, God said no to that prayer, and God said no to this thing in my life. And sometimes he's meeting your need through that no. Sometimes the yes sounds better because that's what we want, but the no is actually what we need. And that's hard to hear, but it's true. So sometimes what God doesn't give you, sometimes what God doesn't allow to happen in your life that you want to happen is just as important as what he has given permission for or what he has allowed to come into your life. So here's a question. We'll put this on the screen for you. Are you guys willing to receive a no from God with the same faith that you praise him for a yes? Because that's the mark of maturity to recognize that. If we get too married to our own plans, we miss God's purpose. We've got to let that go sometimes. So God does something really interesting in, in Acts chapter 16. Paul is taking the gospel out. He's trying to spread it around the world. And you have to understand this. Paul is writing this in the context of some relationships with people in this church at Philippi that he loved. He loved these people. He knew these people personally. And he's saying, thank you so much. I got the gift that you sent me. I don't need it, but I got it. I appreciate it. I'll use it. Um, but what I'm more excited about, guys, is that the gift that you sent me, God's going to use it to bless you more than he's going to use it to bless me. That's what he's saying. And so it kind of goes back to how he met them to begin with. How, ma- how many of you would say that there's people in your life that really don't understand anything about you or where you're coming from because they don't understand your background? They don't understand where you walked years ago and what you came through and, and the progress you've made. And, and so they expect you sometimes to be further along in certain areas of your life than you are, and you're like, man, if you only knew how good I'm doing compared to where I was years ago, to be even as far along as I am. I mean, I still cuss, but I used to beat people to a pulp, you know? And it's like, whatever, I've made progress. And I think, I think we really do Philippians 4.19 a disservice when we take it out of context. It's one of the most popular verses in the Bible, but it's also one of the most misinterpreted. We strip it of its context. And so um, I'm going to take you through some stuff today that I need to take you through as a foundation, and I hope it's not boring, but, you know, I appreciate that when we start a new series, you guys are willing to sit there and let me lay a foundation the first week, so then we can get to the more focused stuff, and so I appreciate you letting me do that today, because it's not my job to stand up here and entertain, it's my job to teach the Word of God, and so, and so that's what we're doing today. So, let's go back several years earlier, because Paul's trying to get somewhere. So, starting in verse 7, of Acts chapter 16, it says, when they came to the border of Mysia, he's got Timothy with him, and they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. The spirit of Jesus would not allow them to what? To preach the message of Jesus in this place. I find that very interesting. That's, that's difficult for me to get my mind around that the spirit of God prevented Jesus's PR campaign from going to this specific place, he, that he didn't want it to happen there at this moment. And, and the point is, sometimes you don't understand what God is doing in the moment. Sometimes you have to wait till the end of the story or further down the road to actually see what God is doing. Have you noticed in all the Bible stories that it often doesn't tell you how the characters are feeling inside during these, these, these moments? Like, it tells the facts of the story and then the facts after the story and the results and the outcomes. But it doesn't really ever tell you, like, did the, fair, did the character feel like God was with them during that struggle, or were they wondering where God was, kind of like we do? Like, I, I, I think about those things. So here's the point. You can't really know what God is doing until he's done it. Sometimes you've got to wait to see what he's doing, and, and you don't really know what you need until you get what you want, and sometimes you find out it isn't even what you wanted in the first place once you get it. So, so Paul wants to go to Asia. He's blocked. He wants to go to, uh, to Mysia. to He's blocked. And then he does something that that you have to learn how to do if you don't know what to do in life. Instead of going home, he goes to a place of active waiting. Active waiting. Write this down. When when it feels like God is not meeting your needs, go into active waiting. Because sometimes we twist that too, like wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, and some of us sit there and do absolutely nothing while we're waiting on the Lord, and I think that's missing the point. Active waiting is where it's at. It means, God, I'm not just waiting for you to do something. I'm waiting on you. I'm here to serve you. I'm here for you to be used during this time of waiting. What would you like me to do during this season? In other words, I'm praying for a new job, but while I'm waiting for that new job, I'm going to be nice in my current job and respectful and work hard, right? I'm not just going to let it go. You know, I'm praying for my kids' behavior to improve, but while I'm praying for that, I'm also going to model it for them and I'm not gonna like throw my anger at them all the time to prevent them from getting angry. Um, You know, I'm praying for all these things, but I'm gonna, and so this place of active waiting for Paul, it's called Troas. Verse eight, the Bible says "Since, since they couldn't go to the other place, they went down to Troas. Troas is a place of transition. It's a port city. It's the city that was right between Europe and Asia Minor. And so it's like, Paul, where are we going? I don't know, but I'm not going home. I don't know, where I'm, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I'm not giving up. I don't know, but I know that God is leading me. Even though I can't see all ten steps ahead of me, I can see the next one, and this is where we're going. You know, I thought it was God, and I thought it was this, and I moved here, and I did that, and now God's leading me somewhere else, but that's okay, I'm going to follow him and see where it goes. Here's a note for you. God's purpose is always greater than my plan. So I'm in the place, I'm positioned to hear from God, I'm waiting to hear from God, and God speaks to Paul in this place, and I think he's going to speak to some of you too. Verse 9, during the night, not during the day when you can see everything, right? During the night. This is a common theme in scripture. Almost every time you see God do something great through somebody or in their life in scripture, it's, 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 something comes during the night. And I think that says a lot. During the night. Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia. So Macedonia is this big region in Europe with people who were not yet reached by the gospel. There were some Jewish people in Macedonia, but there were not a lot of Christians. There were not a lot of people that believed in Jesus or had heard that message yet, and there was certainly no church in Macedonia. And so now I'm starting to understand why God told Paul he couldn't go to the other place and he has to go here. Write this down. Sometimes God has to do away with your plan to get to his purpose. I'm trying to speak to your heart today to to help you see the vision that Paul had here and and the the inner workings of that. So, So he saw a man of Macedonia in this vision. It says, standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So Paul was looking for an opportunity to preach the gospel. And instead, God shows him where the need is, where the real need is. So the question is, is it possible that you've been asking God for an opportunity in some area of your life? but He's going to give you that opportunity by showing you a need. A serious need. Like, would you be willing to receive that? That whatever season you're walking through in your life right now, no matter how hard it is, that maybe the way that God has been speaking to you in this season is not by what you feel, it's not by what you think, it's not even by what you want when you try to figure out your own life and how others should act around you. But have you got to the place like Paul where he says, you know what? I don't need anything I'm content I'm content because I'm following God I'm content to see where he leads me even though it's hard right now and so God I need you to lead me wherever you lead me I need you to lead me somebody say lead me God in other words I don't want to lean on my own understanding I want to lean on God's every day of my life that's how you gain weight I think I need an Oreo but what I really need is exercise Right, we do that with a lot of things. Sometimes we think we need food, but we really need a nap. You know, sometimes we think what we really need to do is pray and ask God um, for this thing, but He really knows we need this thing. Sometimes we think we need this specific person in our life to meet our loneliness needs, but what we really need is for God to give us that. I think sometimes, I think sometimes you think you need a boyfriend, but what you really need to do is focus on your own character, so you're finally ready when Mr. Wright comes along. Sometimes we think we need people to treat us differently when what we really need is to see people not as trees to pluck fruit off for ourselves to eat, but as people to sow into and bless. That's what we're called to do. And so God speaks to Paul here and he says, you want an opportunity? Here it is. I'll give it to you. And it's in the form of a need. My God will meet all your needs. How? With a need. He's, a, he's God. He's God. He sometimes meets needs with needs. Single people, God is God. He's God. That means he's better than Christian Mingle. Okay? He can matchmake better than any website if you'll wait on him and follow him and improve your character along the way. God's in the business of meeting needs with, me, with needs. So how's your, joy, how's your joy lately? Think about that. Is your joy low right now? Maybe God is going to show you a need that you can meet of somebody else's so that then you can see what you had all along that you hadn't been using. So the plot thickens now. Paul's like, give me an opportunity. God, give me wisdom. Give me, you know the prayers we pray? God, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. That's how a lot of our prayers go constantly. Give me, give me, give me. Give me chill bumps. God, I don't like this song. Give me a different one. Give me, give me. And Paul's asking for something from God, and then God gives him a need of a man standing and begging him, come over and help us. So Paul needs help, God helps Paul, but he helps him by showing him somebody else who needs help. You guys are quiet. You want me to go back to God will meet all your needs? You want me to lie and take it out of context? Okay, let me continue. If we're so focused on our needs all the time, what happens is our attitude shrinks to the size of our expectations instead of God being able to meet the needs that are really inside and that's not a good place to be. So here here's a new prayer for you instead of give me give me give me pray show me. God show me. So God instead of focusing on what I need, what I want, what I don't give me give me give me. I'm changing my prayer show me. Show me what you're doing in the world. God show me what you put inside my kids that needs to come out. God, show me a person that I need to to text an encouragement to or or, or share some love with that needs to hear something. God, show me who I can bless. Show me who I can encourage. Show me who I can build up. Because I'm waiting on someone to bless me, but maybe in the meantime I should bless others and maybe a bigger blessing will come through that. Maybe the way I'm going to get it is to give it. Hmm, there's a thought. That's throughout the Bible too. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken, running over. In other words, if you want joy, rejoice. If you want purpose, give praise. Give it if you want it. Give it if you want it. Back to the story. So this man comes in the dream, and then it makes an interesting turn. Verse 7, when they came to the border of Mysia, that's where they wanted to go. That was verse 7. When they came to the border of Mysia, now we're in verse 10. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready. Did you see that shift that shifted from they to we? Because this is the point where Luke, who's with him, finally comes on to the vision when he sees that vision and says, all right, I'm going too. And that's when the people agree to go with Paul. And you know, I was thinking about that. It took a lot of faith for Paul to say, yeah, I'll go to this foreign place, this other place just from a vision I got from God, how much more faith did it take for the other guys that didn't even get to see the vision? They're just taking his word for it. Sometimes it's hard to follow something that you can't see for yourself. And so Luke's like, you know, Paul said he saw men in Macedonia, so we packed up and we went. <laughs> how many of you would have asked God, can you give me some more confirmations first? Like, give me a confirmation. Oh, he had a dream. Okay great but you know what i think there's a blessing in immediate obedience when god speaks where we sit straight out and we just give and we just love and we just go and you know i, I don't understand sometimes when somebody comes up to me and says you know i've been coming to this church for years and i'll say yeah really that's great how do you like it say, oh it's great do you serve no Are you in a group? No. Have you ever invited somebody to come? Nope. Hmm. I don't ever ask them if they give because that's a weird question. That's too personal. That's too personal. But then after that conversation, they'll walk away and say, let me know if you need anything. (laughs) And in my mind, it's like, do you not come here? I'm just going to be raw with you for a minute because do you not see the people that God's bringing into this place every week? Do you not see the look in their eyes, some of them, that there's something going on inside that you have no idea what's going on in their life and the only thing that can meet their needs is Jesus Christ? Do you not see that once you get to a certain place in your walk with Jesus that it no longer becomes about you and your needs but it becomes about those that come through here that need Jesus, the thing we already have? That's maturity, guys. That's that's do you not, you know, do you not see how do you not see how united this church is becoming? Do do you not see how diverse our church is, guys? Have you noticed? And I'm not just talking about skin color, although I am, I'm talking about, I'm talking about background, I'm talking about ideology, what church you grew up in, and that God is uniting us around the same exact thing, which is Jesus Christ. In a time in our history when our country is massively divided, we are seeing unification around Jesus Christ in this place with about 700 people every weekend. Do you not see that? And so for me, it's like the harvest is here, guys, but the laborers are few. We need to build the church. Let's go. Let's do it. That's what we're called to do. And so sometimes I'll say, well, have you brought a friend with you any time in the last few months to share this with you? Have you volunteered to serve on one of our ministry teams? There's a huge list on the back, and the reason there's a huge list is because there's a huge need here. Here's the point, though. God often is not going to meet your needs independent of you. And sometimes I think we pray for God to meet our needs and give me this and give me that, but we don't have any action connected to it. And here's a point. God will meet your needs through your willingness to meet somebody else's. That's when he most meets your needs. And Paul said that after thanking the Philippians for meeting his needs, right? He said, so now that you've met somebody else's needs, he says, now God's going to meet yours. And I just can't get over how they had the faith to pack up and go to Macedonia because of this vision. Because there's like 300 people, 300, excuse me, 300 people, that'd be easy. 300,000 people in Macedonia, and Paul sees one man in a vision, and he's like, let's go, let's go find that man. <laughs> it's insane. Like, how tall was he? I don't know. What color are his eyes? I don't know. We'll find him. <laughs> God will show us when we get there. So they go. Verse 11 describes it. From Troas, we put out to sea, and we sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went to Neapolis. Side note, God doesn't always take you there all at once. You're taking one step, and that's all you can see sometimes, and his word is a lamp unto your feet and another step, and a light unto your path. Watch my feet, step by step by step. He doesn't, he doesn't say that his word is a spotlight for miles ahead. You have to take the small steps. And, and it's the little things sometimes that matter the most. Here's another point for you. God meets big needs, most often through small acts of obedience. We went here, we went there. What are you looking for, Paul? I don't know. I saw a man in Macedonia, and I'm looking for him. And then they end up, verse 12, from there they travel to Philippi. Philippians. Don't miss this, guys. This is a part of church history that you might not know. Philippians, the city of Philippi. Okay, This is a place where the first church in Europe or the Western world was started that then spread here. This place was one of the most critical places for the church to spread across the world as it has today. And it had to happen. And that's not where Paul was heading. But God knew that it needed to happen there. Let me continue. I'm going to tell you about a story right here because there's somebody in this story who most of you have never heard of. I know you've heard of Paul. I'm not talking about Paul. I'm going to show you somebody who does not get listed in the famous Bible characters list. Okay? Samson. We all know Samson. All he did was get a haircut, man. (laughs) We talk about him all the time. I want to introduce you to a woman. Let's hear it for the woman. Okay? Woo! Guys, this is the ultimate woman's Bible study right here. You need to study this because the Bible says they traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, about twenty to 30,000 people lived in this city, in this one city, and there's four districts of Macedonia. So, in other words, Paul is looking for this guy. He's looking for a needle in a haystack, is what I'm saying. There was not a lot of Christians in this place. If there were any believers, they were hiding. There was no church. There wasn't many Jews either, and I'm going to show you how I know that in a minute, but he gets there, and God uses him to get there. How did God lead him there? With a need that he needed to meet. Who do you think God uses the most sometimes to meet the deepest needs of others? It's those who've been broken. Sometimes it's those who walk in with a limp. How many of you, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you can honestly say from your past, man, I am seeing some of the most painful points in my life now later being used to help ease the pain of others walking through the same thing? That's a beautiful picture, guys. God is is leading me. God is leading me. What do you mean when you say that, though? Do you mean, well, it feels good, so that's God. It feels good going this way, so that must be God. Guys, Jesus didn't get to the cross by feeling good about it. It doesn't always feel good when God's leading you. You can't use that as the measure of whether or not God's leading you is whether it feels good. In fact, Jesus prayed, Father, if it's possible, take this away from me. Don't make me go through this if possible. He didn't go to the cross feeling great about it with all the great feelings. And so, if you lead me in Philippi, then that must be where the need is. I wanted to go to Mishiah. I wanted to go to Asia. I don't even like this right now, but God, lead me. Show me the need and, and lead me. It doesn't say, lead me through the valley of the shadow of happiness, it says, lead me through the valley of the shadow of death. God being my leader doesn't mean that I'm never going to go through anything. God being in charge of my life means that I'm never going to have to go through anything without him. That's what it means. God knows what I need. And so it says, we ended up in Philippi and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. And he doesn't talk about what they did there for those days. And I, I wonder, what do you do when you get there? There's like twenty to 30,000 people there. You're looking for this one man. Do you walk around looking for him? Like, hey, I saw a man. Have you seen him? I don't know. Macedonia is a big place. So Paul sees this guy in a vision, but he's not exactly sure what it means or what to do about it. He just got this vision from God. You ever notice how sometimes when God does lead you in a certain direction, it really does feel like looking for a needle in a haystack? Like, I I feel you leading me this way, God, but I don't really know what this means or know where I'm going. I don't really understand what you're saying to me right now, but I feel you leading me. And so, you know, I, I, I think sometimes that's how it feels, though. It's like so I'm here, but I don't know what I'm looking for. You know, I'm raising these kids, and you know, I I don't know if I'm doing it right. I'm trying to discipline them and be their friends at the same time, and I don't know which one to be, and I want them to love me, and I want them to fear me at the same time, but I don't know which one to be right now. And I'm trying to be patient, but I'm also trying to be proactive, but I don't want to I don't know if it's waiting on God or pushing the head because I hear both, I see both in scripture, and I see stay in the boat and I see get out of the boat, and I don't know what to do with the boat, and I don't even have a boat, and I don't like water. <laughs> That's what it feels like sometimes. And so He's there. You got to look at the synagogue. You got to look for the synagogue. Every, you know, I hear some people say sometimes, you know, Jesus was never in the buildings. He was always on the streets. Actually, that's not true. He would always go to the synagogues to preach. He'd also do it on the countryside and on the streets, but he'd go to the synagogues. Paul always went to a synagogue first when he arrived in a town to preach. I want to point that out. Cuz that's where Paul would have started it. But the problem is, in this place, you needed at least 10 Jewish men to form a synagogue. So there were no synagogues here. So he couldn't find a synagogue. There's nowhere to go to preach the message of Jesus. This is how desperate this city was for the message that Paul had to give. There's a desperate need here that wasn't in the place he wanted to go. And so I wonder in your life if God told you no about something for a reason. I wonder if God left you there for a reason. I wonder if there's a need in your life left unmet for a reason. Paul's looking. I saw a man in a vision. It says, they go out one Sabbath. Watch this. They knew there wasn't a synagogue, so verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. You'll find what you're looking for, by the way. Always look for the place God is working, and you'll find what you need. Ask some people in that, this room that question. Ask some people in this room if God shows up in the hospital. Ask some people in this room if God even shows up at a funeral when you're really grieving. Ask somebody in this room if God shows up at a custody hearing or in the middle of a divorce. God shows up in crisis, guys. He shows up in crisis. He shows up in seasons of despair. God is here. We're just looking for him. So Paul says, I didn't find what I expected. I didn't get what I wanted, but my God will meet all my needs. So here's what God knew. Here's, here's, here's the awesome part, guys. God knew there was this woman who was what the Old Testament called a God-fearer. And when the Old Testament referred to somebody as a God-fearer, it meant a Gentile person who believed in the Jewish God but hadn't yet heard the part about Jesus. That was a God-fearer. So they needed the Jesus part to be complete. And so there's this woman here by the river where they're heading that needs somebody to explain to her the message of Jesus. There's this guy, Paul, who's traveled to Macedonia looking for a man that he believes he's supposed to share Jesus with and he needs to share this message with somebody. You see these two needs colliding? And God knows that and that's how he works. God is a matchmaker. He knows how to put you where you need to be to release what somebody else needs to receive. And some of you needed this message today so badly that you almost didn't make it here, but God knew that you needed to be here to hear this message and he knew that I needed to give it and so we crossed paths. And so it says, they expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. What did Paul see in the vision? A man in Macedonia. What did he see at the river? A woman. God's not always going to do it the way that you think he's going to do it. And he's not always going to show up the way you think he's going to show up. And he's not always going to do something through the person you think he's going to do something through. No synagogue. Let's go to the river. Didn't find what we wanted but God's going to give us what we need, okay? So you got needs. We all have needs. But you've reached the place where God is going to meet your needs because you stopped thinking so much about your needs and focused on somebody else's. Paul says, my God will meet all your needs. And there's this one woman. We need to put her on the list, guys, because this is the woman who the, the church that we know of today was launched through in a big way, but we don't ever hear about her. Good for Moses. Good for Noah, you boat-building drunkard. (laughs) Let's talk about Lydia. Let's talk about this woman, Lydia, as we close. This person is used in such a powerful way. And here's the thing. If I asked you to raise your hands, I'm not going to ask you to do it, but 99% of you would say you've never even heard of this woman. You've never heard somebody teach about this woman. You've never read this woman in the Bible. And yet she's so critical. And it was just as important in this story who was listening to the message as who was giving it. And I want to point that out because we have got to do away with this stupid, ridiculous church culture that we have across this country where people believe that there's only the people that are well-known are usable. Or that they believe that the size of the church is, is what determines if you're usable. Or where you believe that the pastor somehow has more access to God than you do or more power to do ministry than you do. Because that's not true. It's not biblical. And so this series I'm starting today is called I Love My Church. And God told me, Jared, I need you to recognize that there are some Lydias in your church. And they're unlikely people. And they see themselves as unlikely. But they are exactly who I need to continue building the church. They are the missing link. And when they begin to see themselves as I see them, which is as vessels to be used by me instead of receptacles for you to constantly dump in, when they begin to see themselves as the conduit which I created them to be to spread my message and to minister to others, then there is nothing that can stop my glory from being seen in the city of Isalia. I believe that. God is looking for Lydia. God shut down an entire leg of the apostles' tour for Lydia. Lydia matters. And every single one of you in this room matters. You matter to the heart of God, you matter to this church, and you matter to me. So let that set you free. See, Paul didn't even know what he was looking for, but he was doing his best to be obedient. Are you doing your best to be obedient? Because if you, do, if you are, you will find Lydia. And you will find purpose. Lydia was a woman, verse 14, from the city of Thyatira, formerly known as the kingdom of Lydia. That's often how women were named, by where they were from back then. She was a dealer in purple cloth. So what? Well, purple cloth was expensive back then. It was considered one of the finest pieces of cloth. So if you were a dealer in purple cloth, you made bank. So here's this woman who does not need any money, and here's this man who needs to share this message and who needs the money... (laughs) And when his need and her need met, the church, as the West knows it, was born. Powerful. God meets needs, but God does not meet needs independently of his people. And there's a tendency in a church like this to look around and say, "Yeah, I don't think they need me here. So then you get all focused on yourself, and it's like, well, how was the sermon today? Well, oh, kind of long. What did he talk about? Oh, some guy named Philip. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. But there's a perspective shift here because Paul says, my God will meet all your needs. Did you notice he wasn't saying it about himself? Because when we read that verse, we say, oh, that's great. My God will meet all my needs. No, Paul was saying it to others. Paul didn't say, God will meet all my needs. He said, God will meet all your needs. It was meant to be about meeting others' needs, not about, oh, God will meet all my needs, my needs, my needs. My needs that's not what he was saying you got to read it the right way so Lydia dealer in purple cloth she was a worshiper of God she was so close to meeting God there are people in your life that are so close to meeting God and you haven't realized the potential there that the very reason that you are even connected to those people and they're in your circle is probably because there's a message that they need that you have and you are the church The church is not a building. The church is not a place that we come every weekend. You are the church. And according to the word of God, the church contributes and doesn't just consume. And the church meets needs, doesn't just think about their needs being met every time they show up. And the church serves and gives of their time. And the church invites others into the family because it's valuable to them. And the church doesn't just sit in a chair once a week. The church rises up. And many people spend their entire church existence sitting on the message of the name that is the only thing that saves. And if you have access to the only thing that can save people, why would you sit on it? We can't be sitting on it. And sometimes I'm burdened that we just come to church and we go to church and we, to get our needs met, and that's how we view church. And the problem with that is we don't even get our needs met by doing that because you only get your needs met biblically by meeting others' needs. That's the character of Jesus that we're all supposed to exemplify. So we have to get outside of ourselves and outside of our customs and outside of our traditions and outside of our preferences and our expectations and follow the leading of God. Paul said, it's not even about me. And this woman, Lydia, I don't know a lot about her, but I'm thankful for her. I'm thankful for her. So watch this. We're closing here. We're landing the plane. It says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. She decided to become a follower of Christ. And when she and the members of her household, see, it wasn't just about her. The second she received Christ, it then spread to her whole family. She couldn't keep it in. Because she really acknowledged what it really was. And I think sometimes we claim to believe this message, but then we don't share it with anybody. If you really believe this is the only thing that saves, you're going to share it every chance you can. And after those who were in her household, those connected to her were baptized, she invited us to her home. She said, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And so this is what God said to me. I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're going to close. God said, Jared, I need you to recognize that God opened Lydia's heart. And she opened her house. And he said, there's people at Rise Church who their heart has been opened but they have not yet opened their house. And they're in this big church just thinking about their needs and their needs and their needs which is so easy to do, guys, and I do it all the time. And so we sing these songs about rising up and God's blessing and new life and it's all good, but God told me to tell some of you today that it's now time to rise up and be a blessing. Not just to be blessed, but to be a blessing. Be the blessing. Be the the blessing for somebody else and watch how God blesses you as a result of it. It's time to turn the pain that you've been rehearsing over and over and over into your head. It's time to release it finally and ask God to now use it because that's the place where true healing comes. And and God didn't cause all those bad things to happen to you, but maybe he allowed them because maybe there's a greater purpose in it. He didn't let you go through those things just so you could be a survivor. He let you go through those things so you could be an agent of change in this world. And the world needs what we have desperately, but we have to give it. We have to pour it out. And, and God's looking for Lydia, this, un, this, this common, unlikely person to, to do such a huge thing through. <clears throat> and so I want to pray for you right now. And I want to be very intentional with this as I go into this new series because you are called to be the church and rise up and break free and to live your life wide awake as the church. And the way that you do that, the best thing that you can do is not just to come to church and have your needs met, but to ask God to open your eyes to the needs in the church and the needs in the people around you in the community that need Jesus. And so I want to just take a moment as the pastor of this church just to, just to pray, because this is not a performance, guys, every week. This is a partnership. And that's the only way the church gets built is, is through a partnership. And, and I can't do this by myself, and even, even three pastors on staff can't do this by ourselves anymore, and, and this church was built on sacrificial people, people in this very room who have been with me for a long time, who've sacrificed and were willing to open their lives and say, yeah, there's people that need Jesus, and there's things I have, and resources I have, and time I have, and things I can help with, and so I don't know what it looks like, but the answer is yes,